We are going to get started because we have a lot to, to cover here in the short time we have. We'll also be celebrating communion together at the end. Tim will be leading that for the first time, so looking forward to that. Well, we're in 1 John, 1 John, and now we are looking at chapter 5, verses 6 through 12. So if you want to open your Bible to that section of God's Word, that would be great. Again, if you don't have a Bible, just grab one of those blue ones. And you can flip open to page 1023. That'll bring you to that section there. We're going to be looking at verses 6 through 12. And you can follow along also. There's an outline inside of your bulletin on the left-hand side. Our year has started off pretty well. We, uh, during the week, my wife was able to meet with someone, and they made a profession of faith in Christ, and yesterday, yes, amen, and I've heard other people report to me that they have met with other people, and they have made a profession of faith in Christ, and then yesterday, Adonis over there, where are you? There you are, Adonis, got baptized, and so we're just um, very excited. Very excited. God is doing great things. He's always doing great things. And sometimes we get to see him and sometimes we don't. But he's always doing great things. So, I titled this message simply this, God's testimony concerning his son. God's testimony concerning his son. And the text that we're going to look at here in just a moment, you're going to see the words testifies, testify, and multiple uses of testimony. Testimony. In the original Greek that this text was written in, and now that we have, we have it translated into our English language, the root word for all of those words, testify, testifies, and testimony, the root word is martus, martus in the Greek, which basically means a witness, a witness. In fact, some translations will translate it witness, witnesses, the witness, but in the ESV, it translates it testifies or testify or testimony. Now, one way you could think of or relate to the word witness is to think of a courtroom, right? Think of a courtroom. Witnesses are called up to the stand to testify or tell the court what they know about someone or something. They give their testimony, which is then considered evidence in the case. And and usually the case is decided upon the testimony of witnesses. The basic concept behind the word witness then is someone who testifies to the truth or tells others what they know to be true. In our courtrooms, witnesses are even asked to swear that they will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. Yeah, they're still saying that, I think. And they face serious consequences if it's discovered that they have given false testimony. It's a very serious situation. Now, as you know, may know, a common tactic among lawyers is to attack the credibility of a witness in an attempt to make the judge or the jury doubt or question or wonder about the truthfulness of their testimony, right? So they'll go after their character or after their past or those kind of things to make you think that the testimony that they're giving as witnesses may not be the truth. 
And sometimes there are good reasons to question or to wonder about the sincerity of a witness, right? Sometimes there is a good reason to wonder if they're really telling the truth. But now I want you to consider this. In the text before us, the witness or the testifier is actually God. It's God who has testified to the world concerning his son. Now, I can't think of a more credible or trustworthy or important witness than God. Can you? No. I mean, if you really want to know the truth about someone or something, then who better to hear that from than from God, who unlike us, cannot lie, according to Numbers 23, verse 19. So let's look at the text together after saying all that. Let's look at it together. Last week, we ended in chapter 5, verse 5, where John wrote these words. Who is it, this is just before verse 6, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So in verse 5, you have John saying that those who overcome this sinful world are the ones who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And then, transitioning, he goes on to verses 6 through 12 to establish that belief in Jesus as the Son of God is based on absolutely reliable testimony that nobody should doubt or reject as false. That's where we're going. First John chapter 5, follow along as we read our text, verses 6 through 12. This is he referring back to Jesus who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. Verse 10. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. So this morning, looking inside of your bulletin, you'll see this note. We're going to consider simply the testimony that God has given concerning his son so that we might correctly, confidently, and courageously believe and proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God. Those three, three, we'll do that looking at three different things. First, the threefold testimony of God concerning his Son. That's point one. Second, two responses to God's testimony concerning his Son. And lastly, to wrap up the conclusion about God's testimony concerning his Son. Now, I'm just going to warn you now, the first point is very long. I don't want you to become afraid that we're never going to finish. We will. 
Point two and point three are are very short, but we're going to spend most of our time on point one. So we'll jump right in. The threefold testimony of God concerning his son. And I want to read it to you again because it's worth reading again. Verses six through nine. That's what we're going to look at now as we explore this first point. There's a threefold testimony. Again, look back at your text. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. All right, the first thing in the text that probably appears a little strange is the phrase water and blood. Does that appear a little strange to you maybe? Water and blood. It does to me. So, okay, John says that he, that is Jesus, is the one who came by water and blood. And along with the Spirit, it is the water and the blood that testify or witness, and they all agree. They all agree. They all are testifying to the same thing. What is John talking about? What is he, what is he getting at? Well, first let me point something out, that he doesn't say what it means. Do you see that anywhere in the text? He does not tell us in the text exactly what he means, which suggests that this was a common way back then in the Christian community of referring to something specific. Okay, Because if he was writing to his readers, he's not writing to them to confuse them or to keep secrets from them but he's writing to communicate truth to them. And so if he uses this phrase water and blood, but then doesn't go on to explain it, that clearly implies it's because they already understood what it meant. But here we are some 2,000 years later, and we're not exactly sure, but we have a good idea of what it means. So I want to look at that with you this morning. It is generally accepted by many Bible scholars, by many, that the water and we'll explore this more, that the water was a way of referring to the baptism of Jesus, to the baptism of Jesus, and the blood is a way of referring to the death of Jesus on the cross. Okay, so baptism and death. These two events, Jesus' baptism and his death on the cross, were obviously significant for many, many reasons. But one of those reasons is they marked the beginning and the end of Jesus' incredible ministry on earth that lasted approximately three and a half years. A ministry, beloved, that was carried out according to Jesus' divine mission to bring about redemption for sinners. We have the historical details, many of them, of Jesus' earthly ministry, those three and a half years, recorded for us in the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And because of these Gospels, we know that Jesus' ministry from beginning to end was a testimony to who he really was. And is the divine son of God. Who was sent to this earth 
by God his Father to ultimately make a way for sinners to be saved. From the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry, which started or was inaugurated with his baptism or the water, if we are correct, there was a special testimony at this event to Jesus' divine nature, to his identity as the Son of God. And we've looked at this before as we made our way through Mark, but we'll look back at it one more time in the very first chapter of Mark, because Mark just kind of starts right there in the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, the Word of God says this in regard to this event. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just so there's no confusion. This is not John who wrote 1 John or the Gospel of John or Revelation. This is John the Baptist. John the Baptist. So he was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he, that is Jesus, came up out of the water... Immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice, here it is, came from heaven. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. You also have this testimony, I'm going to look at it, we'll look at it in a second, given by John the Baptist and recorded for us in the Gospel of John, John the Apostle, in John chapter 1, verses 32 through 34. And here it is. And John, that is John the Baptist, bore witness, testified. Same word, same idea. Quote, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. That is Jesus. I myself did not know him, meaning he did not know yet this was, that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah. But he who sent me to baptize with water, who is God, said to me this, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. The conclusion, verse 34, and I have seen and have borne witness, testified, that this is the Son of God. The baptism of Jesus, beloved, was not only the historical event that marked the beginning of Jesus' ministry on earth, but it also immediately was used to testify to his unique identity as the one and only Son of God. In other words, he was not just another man. But rather, his baptism was a witness, a testimony to him being the God-man. God in human flesh. God with us. Emmanuel. When we come to the very end now of Jesus' earthly ministry where... We know that he bled and died on a cross to pay the just penalty for men's sins. 
Again, there is a testimony given to his divine nature. While Jesus hung there on the cross, there were many incredible events that occurred by the divine hand of God. They were taking place because God was making them take place. And many of those events are recorded for us in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these astonishing events led to this great testimony that we find in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 27, verse 54. When the centurion, who was a soldier that was standing watch over Jesus there while he hung and was crucified on the cross, as according to the procedure of crucifixion. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake, that was just one of the incredible events that were taking place around this crucifixion of Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe. And here was the conclusion. And said, truly, this was the Son of God. After witnessing those many events brought on by God that occurred around Jesus' death, there was no doubt any longer in the mind of the centurion and those who were with him, those who were close up, those who were right there at this historical event. There was no doubt in their minds now that Jesus was the Son of God. He was not just another helpless man dying on the cross for his crimes, as they had seen so many times before. But rather, he was the powerful and perfect, sinless Son of God, willingly dying on the cross in order to save every sinner who would ever believe and trust in him. One writer says it this way, just by way of review. Truly, this was the Son of God. Not only did the centurion say it, but those who were with him said it. There's no other conclusion. This was the Son of God. Here was God's testimony at the cross. The water and the blood, Jesus' baptism and his death on the cross, the beginning and ending markers of his earthly ministry, I believe, along with many others, are witnesses to Jesus' unique identity as the Son of God and the divine mission given to Him by His Father to save sinners and grant them what they don't deserve, eternal life. Now additionally, I want to point out something else that might sound a little strange about this water and the blood. Look back at the text in 1 John. So John is saying, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. And then he makes this statement, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. Why does John say it's not the water only, but both the water and the blood? Why does he have to emphasize that? Well, again... We don't have an exact answer from the text. It doesn't tell us. But assuming that we're right about the water and the blood, that they point to Jesus' baptism and death, and taking into consideration 
ancient documents outside of the Word of God that were written and recorded during this time period, and considering other comments that John has made in this letter of 1 John, leads many to believe that John was again, at this point, countering a false teaching that I've talked to you about before through this letter that suggested that Jesus was really not the Son of God, that he was not the Christ, but rather the Christ Spirit, as these false teachers understood it and taught it, descended upon Jesus at his baptism, empowered him for ministry, and then left him before he died on a cross. This heretical view, this incorrect view, this unorthodox view, this non-Christian view was promoted by a man named Serenthus. To him, Jesus was only a mere man. That's all he was. And Jesus was just simply temporarily empowered by the ministry of the divine Christ. But Jesus was not truly the Christ. He was not the divine Son of God, according to this teaching. John addressed this issue earlier in his letter. We covered this in detail, but I'll just bring it up to remind you. In 1 John and other places, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 22 and 23, John says this, Who is the liar? Because these people are, are trying to persuade the Christians he's writing to that they're right. And the Apostle John, the one who walked with Christ, the one who was a witness to his life, says, who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He's the enemy of Christ. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. So these people, and they were claiming to have the Father, claiming to know God, claiming to have a special relationship with Him. John says that cannot be true because they deny His Son. They deny His divinity. They deny His Christness. They deny who He really is. And then it goes on, whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So we we looked at this in detail before, but one thing we learn from this passage is to deny that Jesus was the Christ is equivalent, beloved, to denying Jesus as the Son of God. It's the same thing. To deny Him as the Christ, to deny that He's truly the Christ. Always was, always has been, always will be. To deny that reality is to deny His Sonship. And to deny His Sonship is to deny or reject God the Father who sent His Son. This is no small issue. This is no small issue. This is why we part way or company with those who deny the truth about Jesus Christ like the Jehovah Witnesses or the Mormons or a long list of other religious organizations that follow after Serentheus or those like him who attack the person of Jesus Christ, distort the truth about him.
If you reject what the scriptures teach about Jesus, then you are ultimately rejecting the one who sent Jesus and has testified through those very scriptures to the truth about Jesus' divine identity. Serious stuff. So the bottom line is it's possible that the reason John said that Jesus came not just by water, but by the water and the blood, was to counter Serentius and his false teachings by making the point that the testimony of God is Jesus was not just a man who for a period of time during his earthly ministry was empowered by the Christ Spirit, but rather he always was the Son of God, the Christ, and remains so even when he suffered and died and hung there on that cross. And see, because of their worldly philosophy, their intellect, them thinking they knew better than God, thinking they had it figured out, they could not accept the idea that God, very God, would hang on a cross and die. They could not accept that. And yet, that is exactly what happened. That is exactly what happened. So back to our text. 1 John chapter 5, 6. Look at it again. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. So in addition to the testimony that we have of the water and of the blood, and we just looked at that, We have the testimony of the Spirit, who is the truth. Stay with me. Keep following me. This is important. We have the testimony of the Spirit, who is the truth. What does that all mean? Well, when we look at John's Gospel, which these readers likely were familiar with, we see recorded there that Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit. We talked about this before. He referred to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of truth. As the spirit of truth. John 14. You can look it up yourself later. John 14 verses 16 and 17 also. You would want to look at verse 26. And about the Holy Spirit. Who is the spirit of truth? He also, Jesus, called the Holy Spirit the helper. The helper. He said to the apostles, which included the apostle John. He was there when Jesus was making this statement. He said these words recorded for us in John's gospel Chapter 15, verses 26 and 27. But when the Helper comes... Now remember, Jesus had not been crucified yet. He had not resurrected. He had not been glorified and returned to his Father. This is still during his earthly ministry. But he's on the eve of his crucifixion and he's telling his disciples this. He knows what's coming. He knows what's about to... The events that are about to roll out. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father... That is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He, who's that? The Spirit. He's a person, not a force. He's not a force. He's not a thing. He's a he. He's a person. He will do what? Bear witness. Same word. Testify. About what? Me. Jesus. Guess what he's coming to do? And you also will bear witness or testify because you have been with me from the beginning. 
Jesus also said this to his apostles, just uh, next chapter, John chapter 16, verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes, who is that? Who is the spirit of truth? The Holy Spirit, the helper. When he comes, you know what he's going to do? He's going to guide you, my apostles, into all the truth. Well, that makes sense, right? He's the spirit of truth. One of the main responsibilities, beloved, of the Holy Spirit, one of the main ones, and when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about the second person of the triune God, God the Father, God the... I'm sorry, the third person. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's who we're talking about. His responsibility in this relationship, one of the main responsibilities, is to testify to the truth about Jesus, the Son of God. He bears witness about Him. He makes known to us what He knows about Jesus. How does He do that? Well, one way He has and continues to do that is through something we call the Scriptures. And if you're not sure what that means, it's, it's a reference to the book that many of you are holding on your lap right now. The Scriptures. The Bible. The Word of God. The Holy Writ. The Holy Spirit guided the writers, as Jesus promised, of God's Word, like the Apostle John, one of those writers, so that they would be accurate witnesses of Jesus Christ and testify to the truth and nothing but the truth about him. So through the scriptures or the Bible, the Holy Spirit continually over the last 2000 years continually has been testifying to the truth about Jesus. And likewise, we find the very same testimony in the historical events that are, by the way, recorded in the scriptures. The historical events of the baptism and death of Jesus. That very same truth being that Jesus is the divine Son of God. He is the Christ. So now, having said all that, and that was a bunch to try to pour into this little time that we have this morning. Go back to the text, 1 John chapter 5, verse 9. Having said all that, having given that threefold testimony of God concerning his Son, John writes this, If we receive the testimony of men, and you could translate that if as since. You could understand it that way. Since we, we do receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater For this is the testimony of God that he has borne, that he has given, that he has declared concerning his son. Listen, this is simple. This is just a simple point John is making. If we are willing to accept the testimony of men as true, as we often do, right? We often do. We do it in our courtrooms. We do it in many other settings. We accept the testimony of men as true. Then we would be crazy a little insane 
out of our minds not to accept the greater testimony of God that we have through the Spirit and the water and the blood regarding Jesus Christ. And why is it greater, you might ask? You probably, maybe you already know the answer, but in case you don't, because this is not just the testimony of men. That's what John is saying. It's not the testimony of men. This is the testimony of God. And this testimony is not just about anybody or anything, but the content of this testimony is about his own beloved son, who is the exact representation of, of his nature, according to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. That's why it is the greatest testimony. One writer says this, the term greater implies both the greater trustworthiness of God's testimony, right? Men lie. God does not. Never has, never will. He's trustworthy. So we have the the greater trustworthiness of God's testimony. And we see that in its origin. It comes from God. And also it is greater because of the greater importance and value of its content. Think about this. I like this, what one writer says. He says this, in neglecting or rejecting this testimony. What testimony? The testimony of God concerning his son as revealed through the spirit in the water and the blood the unbeliever is less reasonable with God than he is with fellow human beings. Like I've said before, I find it sad and discouraging how quickly men are willing to accept the testimony of another man. But when it comes to the testimony of God, oh, hold on. I'm not so sure I want to accept that. And beloved, the reason that is true is because of sin. Sin. If it were not for sin, we would all immediately and fully and completely, every single one of us, embrace and believe the testimony of God He has given concerning His Son. So, having looked at this threefold testimony of God, now let's jump into these shorter points here. The second point is two responses John gives us to God's testimony concerning His Son. Two responses. Look at the text, 1 John chapter 5, verse 10. Whoever, it says, believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. What I think John is communicating in the first part of this verse is simply this, that those who believe Jesus to be the Son of God, have the testimony of God in themselves, which is to say they have fully accepted and are holding on to God's testimony concerning Jesus, His Son. They are believing in and trusting in that testimony to be the whole truth, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And John presents this as the first of two responses, possible responses to God's testimony concerning his son. By the way, on a side note, let me tell you how you might know if someone really believes that testimony. They will give their life to him. They'll give their life to him. 
They will follow Him. They will live for Him. They will obey Him. They will worship Him. They will praise Him. They will adore Him. They will love Him. Why? Because the one who really believes God's testimony concerning His Son believes that Jesus is much more than just another good man. Or an example. Just a good example of a human being. Oh, they believe much more than that. They believe that He is God. He is Lord. He is sovereign King and ruler. And beloved, that can't help but impact your response to Him. The second response is to not believe God. It is to not believe God. How? By rejecting the testimony He has given concerning His Son which means not believing Jesus to be the divine Son of God. The one who does not believe is the one, get this, who is declaring God by their unbelief to be a liar. Just stop and think about that for a moment. The one who refuses to believe the truth about Jesus Christ that God has testified to is the one who is declaring God to be a liar. There are really only two responses to God's testimony concerning his son Jesus. It is one, to believe it and hold on to it with all of your heart. Or to reject it. Which is to say, in effect, that God has lied because his testimony about Jesus is false. That is John's point. That's his point. People all day long want to talk about how they believe God and follow after God and yet reject Jesus Christ. Refuse to believe the truth about him. It's evident by their lives. Because if they believed the truth, they would follow him. They would bow before him. They would worship him. They would love him. They would obey him. And yet they want to claim that they love God. They don't get it. They're calling God a liar by their unbelief. Those who reject the truth about Jesus are those who make God out to be a liar, beloved. That's what John is saying. And finally, we come to the last point. Just the conclusion here about God's testimony concerning his son. Simple again, but serious. Simple statement, but serious, significant. We'll see that in 1 John chapter 5, 11 through 12. Go back to the text. Look there with me as I read it. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God, John says, the Apostle of John, the follower of Jesus, whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life, no exceptions. Beloved, John is pointing out here the... Well, let me, re, let me read you this before I go there. Let me read this quote from one, one writer. He says this, the response, as we just looked at, in the previous point, to God's testimony is so crucial. 
is so important because of what God's testimony involves. Because of what it really means. Because of the impact that it has on the one who believes or doesn't believe. And this is the record John is saying. This is it, guys. God has given us eternal life, but hear me. That life is attached to his son. This is why this is so important. You deny this, you deny the son. You buy what Serentius is saying, or you get led away by all that false teaching. You do not have life. God has clearly testified concerning his son through the spirit. And by the way, when we talk about life, this is eternal life. This is life everlasting. This is the life that God gives to those who embrace his son, Jesus Christ. It is the good life, the abundant life, and it does last forever. It is the eternal life. God has, beloved, clearly testified concerning his son through the spirit, the water, the blood. Why? That people might believe his testimony and fully embrace his son by faith. And his divine mission and be granted eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ, who is life. Who is life. To reject God's testimony concerning his son, to refuse to believe and trust in Jesus as the Christ, as the divine son of God, as the one who was sent by God the father and came to this earth to save sinners not only makes God out to be a liar, to be a false witness, but it separates that one who rejects that testimony from the eternal life that is freely given to all those who simply and sincerely believe and trust in the testimony that God has given concerning His Son. Beloved, according to the text, the only alternative left for those who reject God's testimony, according to that text and other passages of Scripture, the only alternative then for that person is eternal death. That's it. And separation from God. That's what eternal death is. Separation from God forever in a place that the Bible refers to as the lake of fire which we often also refer to as hell. It's a real place for those who reject the testimony that God has given concerning his son. Who call God a liar. Now, beloved, I'll wrap up here. We're about to have a celebration here as we remember that one and what he did for us through giving his body his life on the cross in our place and being punished for our sin. I said that we would consider the testimony that God has given concerning Jesus so that we might correctly and confidently and courageously believe and proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God. Just one thought to go away with. Beloved, the Christian faith is not based on a fairy tale. It's not based on a fairy tale. It's also not based on the imaginations or made-up stories, or worldly philosophies of men. It's not. Oh, there are a lot of things that are, but not the Christian faith. Christian faith 
is based upon the greatest testimony of all, which is the testimony of God himself that he has given concerning his son through the spirit and the water and the blood as John refers to them. And beloved, that should give us confidence and courage to not only fully embrace Jesus, to follow after him, but to tell anyone who will listen who will give us an ear about the truth about Jesus. Because it is the truth. Because God himself, who is truth, has testified to it. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your, your mercy and grace. You did not keep the truth from us, Father. You do not leave us to try to figure it out on our own, to stumble around. Because if you did that, we'd be lost forever. But God, in your great love and mercy and in your perfect plan, you have testified to the truth regarding your son so that we might know it. That we might know who to believe in and place our faith in. We might know who to give our life to. And that one is Jesus Christ. Father, might we embrace that. Might we have courage and confidence in embracing that, knowing that you are the one who took the stand and witnessed to the truth about him, that we might know without a doubt that believing in him is absolutely the right thing to do and the only thing to do if we have any hope of salvation and eternal life, since both are found in him alone. Father, help us. Help us to be good testifiers, good witnesses. Help us point people to Jesus Christ, to the one whom you have already greatly testified to. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.